Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixed Down. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixed Down. Cranking up right here on 3CR. That's us, and we're on again. And I'm John Langer. If you were listening last week, uh, you will probably have noticed that we had a few technical glitches in the studio, and that put a big hole in our program last week. And I got to tell you, this week is shaping up to be looking a little bit similar. But I want to say something in, it's not an apology exactly, but it's an explanation. We are a community radio station. And to use that old cliche, we're running on the smell of an oily rag. And I'd say a bit of blue tech as well. But we also run with a lot of enthusiasm and the generous support from listeners and from enthusiastic volunteers. And I guess this is a really good time to mention 3CR's Radiothon, which is coming up. It's a once-a-year event, and we're asking you to give support to independent, community-based, progressive broadcasting. Here's the way it goes. The 3CR annual Radiothon is almost here. All donations over $2 are tax-deductible. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference. To donate, just call 03 9419 8377 or online at 3cr.org.au. Help keep this mighty station going strong for many more years to come. Radiothon 2017, 3CR, Radio for Change. That's us, 3CR, and you're listening to Communication Mixed Down. Now, we're going to be talking about journalism, and basically what I guess I'll describe is the crisis of journalism, the crisis in journalism. I think journalism is, at this point in time, particularly I would describe uh, investigative journalism and what might be called public interest journalism, is facing – these kinds of journalisms are facing very bleak times – I would describe it as a kind of existential crisis, a crisis of identity, and perhaps even a crisis of survival. The question I'm interested in, it's something that uh, our guest, uh, who's on the online at the moment on the phone, Laurie Zion from the Department of Media and Communication at La Trobe University, question that he's been asking, and I guess something that I, I'm asking as well, is what happens to people who essentially were journalists were attempting to become journalists, and they meet a roadblock. In the case of journalists working, uh, in the case, for example, of Fairfax Media, there's a a proposal to sack 125 journalists, about a quarter of their editorial staff. What happens to 
people going into universities, into tertiary education to study journalism? Where do they go as a result of the shrinking uh, possibilities of getting work? Well, Lowry Zion is, has been doing a five-year study uh, exploring essentially the aftermath of journalism redundancies in Australia. Welcome to Communication Mixdown, Laurie. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. What I wanted to start with is two years ago, it was estimated that 2,500 journalist jobs had disappeared in, at, at, in 2000, by 2012. By current count, it might be even up to 3,000, and apparently that's a rather conservative es- estimate. These figures are very astonishing to me. I wanted to ask you uh, to tell us a little bit about your your research, the post-redundancy research that you've been doing. It's a longitudinal study, and just to give us a little bit of background. Um, John, just start by saying that that figure of 2,500 and 3,000, that's since the start of 2012. So there actually have been redundancies in in large newsrooms, uh, not at the same rate, but certainly in the five years that preceded that as well. So um, it was during 2012, I was actually having lunch with a former student of mine who got an internship and then a job at Crikey, and who now actually is a journalist at The Age. And he just said to me on one of these days when we were both in the city having lunch, well, this would be a great PhD thesis for someone. And I was thinking, well, actually, you know, um, that... (laughs) It, it could be a great PhD, but, uh, you know, what about taking this study a bit further? Because um, I think everyone knows when you're looking at um, a big event in someone's life that there are the immediate impacts, um, you know, in the initial phase, and then people do adapt or not adapt <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. according to their own circumstances over time. And I guess we could all see in 2012, even if we didn't imagine the actual scale of what the loss would be in terms of journalism jobs in the years that followed, we could certainly see that this was not the end of the process. So um, together with a few colleagues from different universities, we decided to try and do a pilot study that would look at, um, you know, how were the people who'd lost their jobs that in that last year? How were they uh, dealing with that experience? But at the same time, we decided that we'd like to pitch this as a study that would keep going uh, for four or five years because we wanted to really see what happened to people over time after that very first uh, sometimes shock of, uh, or or sometimes something some people really wanted, which was to be able to take a redundancy package, whatever the circumstances, what would become of these people? Would they stay in journalism? Would they go into other areas? Would they decide to to not work um, if they were in a position to do that? All those questions were really uh, bubbling around at that particular time. And uh, your work is looking specifically at Australia. Give us a sense of what's happening around the globe, because I imagine the same sort of thing is going on virtually everywhere. Well, yeah, um, it's it's certain. There's certainly versions of this that have been going on everywhere, and I think it's really interesting uh, from our point of view that when we started looking at this, this um, uh, they call them layoffs, not redundancies, in the US. There'd been an enormous number there. And I think for a little while, 
there was some hope in Australia that what was happening there was happening over there. It wouldn't necessarily happen here. And if it did happen here, it wasn't going to be quite as bad. And I think um, that the study that we also found that was done in the UK in 2010 was also, I suppose, reporting on an environment which was ahead of the curve when it came to what was happening here in Australia. And so um, part of our project now is actually looking at um, at this process in different countries. But what we've already, I suppose, been able to realise pretty quickly is that Australia was not um, the first country, really, to experience this really deep cut level of cutting into major newsrooms. And uh, we weren't the last either because there have been a number of countries in Europe where perhaps the business model isn't configured in exactly the same way as here, where it seems from what we can tell that the, the level of cut hasn't been quite as bad. I'd like to come back to that question about the business model and, and some of the other possi- possibilities that, that have been proposed in relation to supporting what might be called a public interest journalism, investigative journalism. But tell, tell us... A, a little bit about how you got your sample. That, I mean, that interests me. Where, where did you Where did you find people? Did you just simply send out, you know, letters, or how, how did it work? No, it's a good question. And in fact, uh, we were aware that someone had wanted to do this in the states, but couldn't actually figure out a way to find people. Um, we've got a couple of partnerships in our in our um, study. We're, we're funded by the Australian Research Council, and one of our research partners is the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance. And um, in, in this case, what they've done is they've uh, we, we, we got we spoke to them very early in the process when we were still coming up with how we would actually do the study, and so um, we reached an agreement with them. And um, as you'd be aware, John, everything's got to go through ethics committees at university. You know how we actually mm-hmm. approach people and contact people as well. But this ended up being a good way to do it. That they would put stuff in their newsletters. They called some of the members that they were aware had gone through the redundancy process and asked permission for, um, you know, from them to, uh, for us to be able to contact them as well. So um, it didn't give us a sort of perfectly rounded sample, perhaps. There are a lot of people also who, who clearly had, um, you know, they'd been in the news, their names had come up in the news, so-and-so's left the age or so-and-so's left, you know, um, um, courier mail or whatever. Um, so we tried to work around publicly available information, but we're also assisted a lot by the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance, who remain partners in the project now. And how many people were finally in your sa- at least the initial sample? Uh, we got we were able to approach about five hundred people, and a bit more, a, a little over half of those. Uh, responded to the first survey and we gave people the chance to opt in or opt out of the different activities for this project. So uh, some of them said that they not didn't want to be contacted again hmm. and, um, and you know, but mostly people wanted to stay in it. So we haven't got that many people in our annual surveys now, but we've still got a healthy sample. And uh, it's certainly... Um, I actually thought we did better than I was... Um, imagining we would in, in terms of the initial response. So, yes. um, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's not everyone, but it's certainly yeah. um, a good sample. Now, I want to offer, a, offer my crude summary of your findings. You found some of the overriding themes when you did actually speak to people or get them to respond to your yeah. questionnaire and your 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 study they expressed their 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 redundancy experience in in these ways that redundancy affected their health 
their well-being, their self-esteem, redundancy affected their income, their employment prospects, and it also affected, well, essentially created worries about gaining new skills. I wanted to ask you, as the researcher doing this, what were the findings that were most surprising and most unexpected for you when when you when you got the results? Um, well, actually, I think that the thing that keeps coming back to me and um, is making us—it's still coming back to me now. You know, in this, we, we haven't finished the project yet, but that how different the experience was for different people. Um, and even in the first survey, we were finding that people, um, you know, were still recovering in some ways from the redundancy experience, a lot of people. But some of those same people would say, actually, my sense of well-being has improved. I'm feeling really good or I'm really excited about what's going to happen. And every time someone, you know, every time there's a comment from anyone in our team, which characterises the general response in a way that, you know, it makes it seem like people have had a really rough time, someone will pop up and say, wait a minute, that's not my experience. And in fact, mm. in the initial phase when we were doing the questionnaire, some of the people who did the response said, you're clearly not who uh, we're looking for because mm. we're, you know I've actually really um, thrived from this whole experience. Mm. So mm. I think um, it's an important point, I think, because... Um, in some ways now in the you know the upcoming um, Senate inquiry that's going to look into the future of public interest journalism, um, I don't think that the fate of newspapers can be equated to the fate of all the people that work there. Many people who have found different careers or have gone into different areas of journalism or are just enjoying different pace in their life. Um, having said that, there are a lot of people who've done it really tough out of redundancy. Anecdotally, we're hearing a lot from people who say when you're over 50, it's really hard to get job interviews, even if you've got all this experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the responses really, when you look at the detail of the answers that they're giving, um, relate to what stage they're at in terms of you know, were they already looking at retirement or were they mm. doing it tough, raising a family and, and having a range of financial responsibilities so that the drop in income, you know, would be, mm. um, would, would really hit hard. And also I think this whole issue that's much broader than uh, in the case of journalists where people who've, you know, had stable careers and find themselves entering the job market past a certain age and half our sample had been, uh, were, were, the average age in our sample was around 50 and about half of them had been, the average time they'd spent in, in, in their jobs was more than 20 years. So, the, the, you know, some people just deal with change better than others and some people realise, well, something that looked like it might be straightforward has turned out to be quite complicated. But it's interesting a couple of years on from that that income levels are recovering and in the, you know, a quick look at our most recent survey, only one person in our entire survey said that they were actually unemployed. But um, mm -hmm. a lot of people were doing uh, part-time or freelance work. Mm. So this this is another theme that, you know, we hear yes. a lot about more broadly, this precarious work syndrome where people might be getting uh, work, but it's not necessarily the amount of work that they want or in the structure that they want. Another thing that uh, I read that in your discussion of your your results that uh, some some of the journalists moved into PR and in pub into public relations and they saw that as a as a highly stigmatized in some cases highly stigmatized move and some of them described it as going over to the dark side and then others said that this was actually a, a huge opportunity for them. 
Yeah, I mean, one person, and, uh, you know, this was an anonymous response, I don't know who said it, but said that, you know, in the newspapers I was doing journalism, now when I'm working for an NGO, public relations, uh, you know, I feel that I'm contributing more to the common good. And I think that um, it's really... It's really interesting because public relations is one area of work, I suppose, that's had a, you know, quite a substantial infusion of, of people who've got extensive journalism experience. And, um, you know, this area is now characterised as communication or, you know, strategic communication as well. And so I think for some people it's been, well, I've always thought like this about, you thought this about uh, public relations, but actually, um, you know, the, the, the job's stimulating and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Other people uh, are not so flattering about it as a profession, but they're saying this is the work I can get. Mm. But I think that, um, you know, what we're seeing here, I think, reflects the broader pattern of um, uh, that we're seeing in, in other professions where, you know, if you said 30 years ago in your first class of the year teaching undergraduates, you know, what does a journalist do? There would be quite a clear and common understanding of what that role is. And what we notice now with graduates from our degree at La Trobe and sport journalism, for instance, that some of them will go into jobs like, you know, being a media manager for a, for a, a suburban footy league that didn't exist a few years ago mm-hmm. and that combine, you know, strategic communication and, and journalism in terms of writing up... Um, all the mm. events in the club, so that 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 merging of ro- that uh, not total merging, but the, you know the, the overlap we get now, I think, is mm. a reflection of how much the media itself is changing. This is an interesting development and, in fact, leads to my next question because I was going to – I'll put it this way. There's a sort of a paradox in play, and you're someone involved in journalism education. And as I understand, there's more journalism courses being offered at – particularly at tertiary level than ever before. It seems like almost every university now has a a course in journalism. And yet – Journalists are finding themselves more and more out of work or in in precarious work in un- unprecedented numbers. How does this get reconciled in terms of, I guess, the what, the kind of things that are happening in in the teaching area, in the education area, and I guess you could call it in the professional marketplace. Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and it's obviously something that um, you know that that we do engage with a lot. Um, you know, like many media or journalism programs at La Trobe, we've reconfigured it, uh, not, not simply in response to the market, but, you know, in, in revising our course offerings, we've included a new stream called Media Industries, where people, uh, are, where students are trained in, in media production. And I think that, you know, we do get this paradox through um, surveys of, of jobs where, it's possible, you know, depending on how you interpret them, to say, well, there's actually, you know, there's more media jobs than before. Well, some of them might be quite precarious or, or entry level, but there's certainly um, a, a demand for people with specialised multimedia skills. And I think that we've got to make a really big distinction between, you know, what we're training um, students to do now and what um, traditional journalists who, you know, went into newspapers at 18 were, were trained to do in terms of their, you know, the way people manage technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I think too that um, there's more uh, th- there's more kind of media production, if you like, in a range of jobs that are not specifically um, journalism or, or media jobs. So 
it's more and more common now, for example, for uh, people who work in professions that are not media to need to know how to engage with mm. social media mm. to be mm. able to write in a, in a way that uh, attracts attention. So the actual skill base of journalism, mm. and, and remember that it wasn't all that long ago when, you know, there was... Um, not just in Australia, but elsewhere, I guess, in the sense that, you know, what a journalist does is quite specific and, you know, and, and isn't the same as anywhere else. Mm. But journalism skills, if you like, and acts of journalism um, are permeating a lot of the uh, professions where they probably didn't exist before. Uh, don't forget that, like, in the post-war period in Australia, a lot of people's workplaces were factories mm. where you wouldn't mm. actually even necessarily be required to speak over the course of the day as part of your working life. <laughs> yeah. And now our jobs are much more service industry, Absolutely. much more engaged with other people. Yeah. So that's part of it. And there are, of course, new opportunities opening up in the media that didn't exist before. Yeah, you know, the large um, the large masthead uh, and, and increasingly television have been shedding jobs. And uh, we heard today some ABC radio jobs are going to go. But at the same time, the ABC is an example who's creating a whole, um, what they're saying, I think, is about 50 jobs in, in uh, you know, for the regional network. Mm. Um, so there's, there's different things uh, opening up. The Guardian has started in Australia. Now, these aren't re- direct replacements of what we had in the large-scale newsroom, and I think there's still very serious questions to raise mm. about mm. whether these smaller outfits really are able to serve the public with the kind of public interest journalism, uh, investigative reporting and the coverage of every municipal council meeting for local papers. But we're still seeing, I think, that there is um, there is renewal in, in, in journalism mm. as well as a decline mm. in mm. terms of the traditional jobs. Mm. Laurie, I'd, I'd really like to talk more to, about, about these things. There, there are obviously huge amounts of of uh, issues involved here, and, and I'm particularly interested in, fi- in finding out a bit, a bit more about your research when you go uh, offshore, as it were, to other countries. Yeah. And I, I want to thank you so much for your time this evening, because the plan was, Laurie, that we weren't going to spend as long as we did, but I'm really glad we did, and I, I think we covered a whole bunch of issues. So I, I want to thank you for, for, for your time. Uh, great pleasure, and thanks for having me on the program. Thank you. And uh, that was Laurie Zion, and uh, he's from the Department of Media and Communication at La Trobe University. And he, as you heard, has been involved in a five-year study exploring the aftermath of journalism redundancies in Australia. This program, this the study he's involved in is called New Beats, the New Beats Project. And we'll put that up on the communication website, uh, communication mixed down website on 3CR. It's Radiothon coming up, and I want to play this because you know we live on subscriber donations and listener donations the 3cr annual radiothon is almost here and in 2017 3cr is radio for change From June the 5th to the 18th, we're asking you to help us stay on air by making a generous donation. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference. And all donations over $2 are tax deductible. To donate, call 03 9419 8377. Or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR, radio for change. 
You've been listening to Communication Mixdown, and we will be back next week.